The reading this morning is from um, Galatians 4, verses 4 to 7. Uh, Galatians, of course, uh, written by uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, around about uh, AD 48, or maybe a little later than that. Um, his teachings in Galatia were constantly being challenged by the uh, Juda- Judaizers, who believed that a number of the ceremonial practices of the Old Testament church were still binding on the New Testament church. And they insisted that the converts to Christianity that still abide by the Old Testament rites. Uh, well, of course, Paul is proposing that people are sanctified not by legalistic works, but by the obedience that comes from faith in God's work for them. The book of Galatians, although it's a very small book, uh, has, has had a lot of punch over the centuries and, in fact, uh, was very much adopted by uh, Martin Luther uh, in setting up the Reformation uh, and has become known as the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. So it really does uh, 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 punch well above its weight. Let's read uh, a small passage of Galatians 4, 4 to 7. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. And because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And this is the reading of the Lord. Over to David to further explain to us the meaning of that passage from Galatians. Thank you, Paul. (laughs) I don't know, I think you did a pretty good job at the beginning there. That was a really good introduction. Um, But I will pick up on a few things uh, from this passage from Galatians because um, in our modern world, happily, we tend not to think of ourselves as slaves. I don't think any of you would count yourself as slaves. Probably not. Um, Nobody owns us after all, do they? Except maybe our boss at work for certain periods of the day, certain days of the week. And maybe the bank with our mortgage owns us a little bit in some ways. or, Or maybe there's someone, a significant other in your life who owns you, whether it's your partner or your children or your parents or something, I don't know. But most of the time, we don't consider ourselves to be slaves. But it is notable that Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth without the privilege we might associate with his station. Born into a middle-class family, as Mary and Joseph really were in that setting, Um, And if you believe the tradition, there was a little bit of fanfare when he arrived with the shepherds and the the wise men and so forth and the angel choirs. But apart from that, his life seemed to proceed in a fairly typical or mundane fashion for most of it. There was a few notable exceptions. He seemed to display remarkable spiritual insight in that incident when he went up for his bar mitzvah uh, when he was about 12. But nothing really substantial came of that until his public ministry around the age of 30. So presumably, like everybody else in his culture, Jesus lived under the constant threat of judgment, just like everybody else seemed to be at that time. The real possibility that his life might be displeasing 
to the Father, that he might be rejected. And this is what it means to be under the law, because if you have to obey the law to be acceptable, there's always the chance that you might accidentally or deliberately disobey the law and become unacceptable. The measure of righteousness is in the form of the statutes that must be obeyed. The obligation is that we must fulfill those things. There was, of course, the annual day of atonement, Yom Kippur, where you could uh, confess your sins and they were forgiven through ritual acts and so forth. But the abiding sense was, I've got to get this right. Otherwise, I'm a bit of a goner. I remember my first job in my first career, which was as a graphic artist in the advertising world. I managed to land a little, uh, an art job in a little studio in North Sydney. It was just me and the boss. He was a very interesting character. He clearly saw potential in me and he employed me, which I was very grateful for. And he steadily gave me more and more responsibility in the job. So in the end, he was going out and getting the work and I was doing pretty much all the work. I was a better artist than he was and he knew that. He was a better salesman than I was and he did that part really well. He gave me more and more responsibility, but he never thanked me and he never praised me. I found that particularly difficult, I think. Um, I imagine his view was, well, I pay you to do this work, so the bottom line is I want it done, I want it done really well, just as the client wants it, and I want it done on time. That's the bottom line. I don't praise you for that. I pay you for that. And... I remember thinking, just once, I think I would forego a week's pay to have you say, thank you, David, you did a great job. Because <laughs> I constantly lived with the awareness that if I didn't actually do the job, get it done right and on time, then he would just ball me out. He would love to tear strips off me and um, put me down. I was always a hair's breadth away from not being good enough. And I found that extremely t- uh, stressful. And I think that's a bit like what it means to live under the law. You only need to slip and you're a goner. Slaves and children are different, right? They haven't always been that different, but they are today. Uh, Children, of course, get bossed around by older siblings and parents and that kind of thing, but we don't consider them really to be slaves. Every family is different, of course, but... um, (laughs) Just because you boss a child around doesn't mean the child is a slave. Did you hear that, Trevor? (laughs) No. (laughs) But the slave relationship and the child relationship is very different because the slave relationship is essentially transactional. The slave is owned by the slave owner and the slave is simply an extension of the will of the master. The slave doesn't have their own life. The slave does the things that the master tells them to do. And in a funny kind of way, many religious people strive to become a slave to their God, to just do the things their God wants them to do. But it's interesting that Paul doesn't want us to be slaves and Jesus didn't call us slaves. He called us his friends. And here Paul uses the metaphor of children, We are not slaves as Christian people. We have become adopted 
as children of God, no longer slaves. Children are not an extension of the life or will of their parents, no matter how frustrating that might be to the parents at times. Children develop their own personhood in their own right. Children pursue their own lives, certainly in relationship with parents and other siblings and so forth. But we regard a child as developing healthily as they develop an autonomous sense of self. I was delighted uh, last night when Wei pushed back on me on something that I carelessly said. And I thought, good honour, and I apologised this morning, because I want her to be strong and be her own person. I don't want her just to be some meek extension of my personality. And this status is not reversible. It is not conceivable that a once adopted child might revert to being a servant. No healthy child would willingly choose that and no loving parent would ever try to do that either. And as a a parent of two beautiful daughters, it's inconceivable that they would ever not be my daughters. They have been intrinsic to my sense of life not just who I am as a parent, but all that I have learnt in terms of loving and what it means to love and so forth, how my heart has been stretched and grown and formed and all that sort of stuff. And we see this illustrated in Jesus' story of the prodigal son, even when the younger son is staggeringly disrespectful to his father and unspeakably irresponsible with all the stuff his father gave him, And the broken son shamefacedly seeks a job as a servant at his father's estate. And Jesus tells in this story the father wouldn't have a bar of it. Even when he sins so directly against the father, the father's heart towards him is love. And the desire is restoration and reconciliation. And it's interesting that it's in that order. When the son returns in that prodigal son's story, the father doesn't run towards him and then interview him and say, so have you learnt your lessons? You know, it's, you worked out that I was right and you were wrong and all that stuff. No, he says, this is my son. And he puts a robe on him and the ring on his finger and they have a celebration. And then I imagine afterwards they sit down and talk. What's life been like? Where are you now? It's, recon- it's um, restoration first and then the reconciliation comes after that. Because for a child, everything should flow from a secure place of belonging. The child is not striving for acceptance. The child is not fearful of excommunication. The child knows their place in the family. Life is lived secure in the awareness of being loved, supported and cherished so they can then go forth and discover their own life. And this is a very different world to being a slave, wouldn't you agree? And you think about the way we do our religion, and sometimes we're more like slaves than we are like children. And I think God wants us to be children, where we grow into our identity as God's children and live that out in the world, taking responsibility for who we are and what we're called to be and do. And so we get this inheritance from our father. Inheritance is an interesting thing, isn't it? I think in our world we often think about 
um, the stuff we're going to be left when our parents die. Yeah, that's an inheritance, isn't it? What are you hoping for in your inheritance? Um, these days it tends to be material things and we think of inheritance as the way that real wealth is retained within and distributed among family members. But these are material things which are passed on when the parent dies and the most important things happen long before a parent dies, I reckon, because I've referenced this previously here. There's all sorts of traits we inherit from our parents as well, awarenesses and understandings from our families, everything from habits and practices related to how we do our daily life, how we see all manner of things and what we consider to be most important. My dad really spoiled us kids when we were growing up, but I always knew that if I really needed something, he would gladly give it to me if he had it, wouldn't hesitate. Uh, early on in our marriage, Joe and I made a decision that we were going to buy a new car, a brand new car from the showroom. We'd never, ever paid so much money for a single item in our lives. It was a, a really good deal, very, very reduced on its normal price, and we thought, actually, it's about the same what we were going to pay for a second-hand car, and it was going to clean out our bank account. And I rang my dad, and I talked through the deal with him. He said, yeah, it does sound like a good deal. I said, but Dad, we're pretty much going to empty our bank account. We'll be very, very vulnerable if something happens that we're not expecting. If that happens, can I call on you? I said, of course, Dave. No problem. And I think I've inherited that tray as well in my sense of things too because I, I couldn't imagine you know, my daughters being in a situation where they needed something and if I had it, of course I'd give it to them. Not frivolous things, but things that they actually needed. I know I've inherited that attitude from my father. I think I spoil my girls more than he spoiled me, but, you know, there you are. When it comes to being an heir of God, of course, God doesn't die. There's no transfer of material ownership of stuff. The inheritance we receive is far more significant and enduring than just stuff. We inherit the character, the practices of life that are demonstrated by our Heavenly Father and by Jesus, his Son. And these are divine and eternal. And before you're, attempt you're tempted to think that that might be a bit of a poor second to maybe the Vaucluse mansion that you would like to inherit, think carefully about where life is actually found because I'm sure we can name lots of people that have lots of stuff but don't have a rich and abundant life. And the really brilliant thing about inheriting, inheriting these character traits of God is that we get to enjoy them right now. We can embody these character traits of God the Father. We can be gracious and forgiving. We can love justice and yet act with mercy we can be patient and long-suffering. We can be generous with our time and attention and resources. We can be creative and life-giving towards others. Not as an expression of virtue, as some kind of attempt to gain acceptance or be a good person in some kind of framework. It's really an embodiment of our Father's heart 
as we grow in love and gratitude towards God for these ways that God relates to us, the same traits will naturally develop within our own hearts, just like in any family that would happen. Not as performative activities, but as family traits. And so we become marked with the character of our God. You see, Jesus was just like us, born under the law. But he never succumbed to the fear of the possibility of rejection. He never succumbed to that fear. Instead, he lived faithfully in response to his Father's love and he calls us to follow him in that way. And as we follow, we live into the character traits of God. We literally embody our inheritance and we enjoy the richness of life that living in that way brings to us. And not only to us, but as we live that way, we bring the life of God into the world. We bring those life-giving ways so that they transform the relationships that we're in and the community of which we are a part. And this is a great thing indeed. Let us pray. Loving God, we thank you that you have not called us slaves, but children. Thank you that you've liberated us from the law, that we don't relate to you on the basis of blind obedience, but out of humble devotion and love and relationship. And we thank you that as we do that, we are touched by your heart and slowly but surely it transforms our own hearts and we inherit your character and we live that blessing into the world and enjoy it for ourselves as well. To the glory of your name. Amen.